I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Brother Hill needs your help. I already told him I'll help him. But let's get behind him. Let's treat him like we ought to treat him. Just back him up and just let him just pour out his heart. And let's receive whatever thus saith the Lord. Let's put our hands together as Brother Hill comes. Praise the Lord, everybody. How many of you can feel the Holy Ghost in here tonight? Why don't we just lift our hearts and our hands to Him right now and just give Him the thanks and praise that He deserves. Father, we love You tonight. You're so merciful. You're so good to us. We ask Your will, Lord, tonight in this church. Every heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl be touched. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your word go forth, Lord, and bring forth much fruit. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you, and you may be seated. I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to this church for all the outpouring of support and uh, the prayers and uh, everything else that this church has done for my myself and my family. And um, in the passing of my wife, I haven't really had an opportunity to stand up here and publicly thank you all for all of the things that you've done. And uh, I'll tell you, it made it possible for us to get through the days that were so dark uh, we still haven't reached the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, they say the grieving process goes on for God knows who, how long and who knows when that will be. But I do know that uh, uh, things are getting a little bit better. And I want to say thank you for your prayers and your support. I don't know how many of you have come to me personally and said, Brother Hill, I'm praying for you. And... Uh, it really lifts my spirits to know that I've got so many folks in their prayer closet on their knees praying for me. And so I want to say thank you publicly tonight. I also want to say uh, I appreciate your support to my son, not just because he's my son, but because he's the man of God that God has chosen for this hour in this church to lead you as, your, as God's people. And his wife and their family. Uh, I've pastored a few churches in my day, and I've I know what it's like to be a pastor, and it's not an easy job. It's a taxing job. It weighs on you because you take everybody's um, problems, and uh, they become your problems. And uh, you you just wouldn't believe the weight that that you carry. And uh, of course, God teaches us. To put it all on him. And so uh, he chose uh, Adam Hill to be the pastor of this church, just like he chose Moses, chose Abraham, he chose David. All the leaders that he chose, he may not be perfect. I don't think there's anybody that's ever been called of God that's perfect. Um, David, David failed many times. Abraham failed. Moses, all, all of them. Failed, and uh, I'm sure that uh, Adam's not done everything 
like maybe you thought he should, but he's doing what God leads him to do. And so for that reason, uh, I, I, I want to thank you for backing him and supporting him and his wife and their, and their family. Also, I want to take a minute just to say thank you to Larry and Phyllis. They, uh, they were gracious to my wife and myself, opened their home and their hearts to us. I could never repay them. And uh, the men of this church that came to our house to help us put it together so we could make it inhabitable, I'll tell you, I just my heart just melts every time I think of it. I just can't thank you enough. So uh, I can stand here all night and just thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you've said, done, and continue to do. But that's not why we're here. We're here to share the Word of God with you. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 John 4 and 4. It's a simple verse and a simple scripture. While you're turning to that, you should have been here this morning and heard Brother Davis preach the message follow that yellow brick road because Brother Davis, I want you to know you was preaching to me. Preachers need preach to too. First John four and verse four. It says ye are God of God little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Tonight I want to preach to you on the thought, I refuse to be intimidated by the devil Anymore. You may be seated and God bless you. I don't know about you, but over the lifetime that I've been on this earth, 66 years and counting, I have been afraid on more than one occasion, and Satan seems to get some type of gratification on making us afraid. The Bible says, fear not, because the Bible tells us God is with us. For instance, in Isaiah 41 and 10, it says, do not fear, for I am with you. I will surely help you. I will uphold you in my right hand of righteousness. And in Jeremiah 20 and 11, it says, But the Lord is with me like a fearsome warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Since they have not succeeded, they will be utterly put to shame with an everlasting disgrace that will never be forgotten. So, we need to remember this scripture that we read here out of 1 John 4 and 4 if we don't remember anything else. 
Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's why we need to have the Holy Ghost. Because if we don't have the Holy Ghost, then we're not greater than anything. And we're controlled by the things of this world and this life. I'd like to take my text tonight out of uh, Mark, the fifth chapter. If you want to turn there with me, I'm going to read this. It's quite lengthy. It's 20 verses of Scripture, so bear with me because I want you to get the whole gist of the story. Then I'm going to preach to you. It said, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out. And entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, and were choked in the sea, and that they fed the swine, excuse me, and they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see it was, that it was done, and they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, and he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Praise the name of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about this portion of Scripture the way I have. But I want to share with you tonight some thoughts that I have had. First of all, when we read this portion of Scripture, we can see in this man a miserable human being. This probably is the epitome of fallen man. 
When you look at this man's life and you see how he must have lived and how he had to exist among the dead and how he he could not be bound by the chains and the fetters that were put upon him, how he could not stand himself so he cut himself with stones day and night and he cried with a loud voice. He was in total and complete misery. This is a picture of you and me without Jesus. This is a picture of you and me without God. If you read the text prior to this, and there's three references in the Scripture about this story. There's in Mark the 8th chapter, excuse me, Matthew the 8th chapter, and Luke the 8th chapter. It also tells about this story. Some of the circumstances are told just a little bit different because there's three men telling the same story, but they're giving their own versions of what they saw and experienced. And here we find that one man tells it was in one place, and one tells it was in another place. But they're telling the same story. Are they wrong? Skeptics try to find fault with the stories because all the facts doesn't add up in each story. But perhaps it's because they're not studying the Scripture fully. My pastor taught us, he said, if you ever read the Scripture and it seems to contradict itself, the contradiction is not in the Word of God, but rather in the student of the Word. So continue to read and study and see whether that, those things are true or not. And as I began to study this portion of Scripture, I found that there's many different reasons why some of these differences in the Scripture are found. For instance, if this story would have took place in Owen County, we could have said Owen County. And someone else might have said it was in Spencer. Someone else might have said it was in Indiana. But they're all correct. It's just that they're telling their story in their own words and in their own vocabulary, in their own way. So the stories are true and correct. It's not uh, just a fable, but it's not an allegory. Or an, al- an allegory is a story that tries to bring forth a truth that's related to it. However, in this particular chapter, we find that these people were in the land of the Gadarenes, in Gadara, if you please. And it was there that there was worship of idol gods. Zeus was one particular god that the Greeks worshipped in that particular part of the city. And they were angry when they came and found that all of these swine had ran off violently into the sea after the devils were driven out of this man that was in the the epitome of sin. And I've often wondered why it was that swine seem to have more sense than people sometimes. Because swine refused to live with those devils in them. But the man seemed to be contented, at least until he was driven out of his mind. When you capture the essence of this man's life, I don't know. I don't know about this man. The Scripture doesn't say. And I've been taught that when the Scriptures are silent, you should be silent. 
But could we kind of read between the lines just a little bit and surmise exactly how this all came about? How was it that this man found himself in such a terrible place? Have you ever found yourself in a place you never thought you'd find yourself in? It's easy because we live this thing called life. And we're surrounded by circumstances and situations that we have no control over. That's why Brother Krause always prays. Pray for things that we have no control over. Pray for those things that we have nothing to say about, but we can say what we do with our own selves and with our own lives. Perhaps this man was an innocent man, like some of these young people sitting on these pews tonight. It starts somewhere. The Bible said it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Maybe he got started. I don't think that he was born like this. doesn't say. I don't see how a man could get in that shape, being born in such a shape. But I surmise that possibly when he was a little guy, his mother told him, Son, now don't go and get that cookie out of that cookie jar. You've got to wait till supper. You ever been told that, boys and girls? You leave those cookies alone. There's somebody that's honest. <laughs> leave that cookie alone. Because you haven't eaten your supper yet. Then you can have the cookie. Well, they go in there and they sneak that cookie out of the cookie jar. And when you take something that's not yours, what does that make you? And when you don't obey your parents, what does that say about you? Honor your mother and your father. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not. You see, but one by one, possibly, he snuck around behind the barn one night and smoked a cigarette. It just starts with one cigarette, you know. You know, people don't die of lung cancer smoking one cigarette. Maybe it started with a drink. Maybe he took that first drink and then the next and the next and became an alcoholic. I don't know what the man's story was, but I surmise that he began like many of us have. How many of you can identify with this man already? Because there's none of us perfect and we've all failed come short of the glory of God. But somehow this man found a way to continue to live that lifestyle until it drove him out of his mind. They said he lived among the tombs and he cut himself day and night. And I'm sure... Our brother here could tell us stories about men that he works with today that's done that very thing, to have scars on their wrist and in their body. And the reason they do that is because they're so miserable and ate up inside and they're so full of pain that they can't stand themselves and so they cut themselves so they can feel that pain and it takes it away out of their heart for just a minute. That's why people do that. That's why they drink. That's why they do drugs. That's why they do anything they do to substitute something to get their mind off of reality. But the man was driven completely insane to the point where he went naked and lived in the tombs and no man could bind him. What does that tell us about humanity? It doesn't matter what men do. There's no way they can save you from yourself. There's nothing they can do. There's a point that they can try to help. 
There's things that they can do to try to help you get back to normal. But I'm telling you something, folks. There's nothing that can make a way for you like Jesus Christ. There is nobody that can help you like Jesus Christ. But the devil, he tries to intimidate us. He tries to keep us from doing that which we're supposed to do. He makes us afraid. Makes us afraid of being alone. Makes us afraid of being lonely. He makes us afraid of our lives coming to an end this way. Who would have ever dreamed that we would end up in this place? But it happens every day. But when he saw Jesus, the Bible said, afar off, he ran to him and fell on his face and began to worship him. Satan tries to intimidate every one of us. Satan tries to bring fear with cancer. Satan tries to bring fear with situations in our life that we have no control over or any say-so over. Satan's continually working his work so that we will not have that relationship that God has called us to have with, with himself. I liken him to the bully that I knew about. There was a young preacher that had a family. And, of course, the preacher taught his family, said, you know, you've got to conduct yourselves in a way that people will respect you because I'm a pastor. And uh, we don't want any reproach on the church. We don't want to bring any reproach to Jesus and we don't want people speaking evil or bad of you. So conduct yourselves accordingly. And don't fight. And don't do things that the other kids do. And don't, you know, just just behave yourselves as best you can. So the little boy came back home and said, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because from the youth of this young boy to his teens, he never got in a fight. He never had any problems. The teachers at school loved him. The principal loved him. The teachers loved Everybody loved this young man because he was such a well-behaved individual. But this one bully thought he could get away with intimidating him because he tried him a little bit at a time and he never reacted in a way that he was anticipating, so he, he would just catch him and he would sling his fist and catch him right in the shoulder blades or right in the back and just plow him as hard as he could and bring him to his knees. The boy came home and said, Dad, I don't know what to do. He said, this guy keeps coming up to me and hitting me in the back and for no reason. And because I won't react, he said, he just continues to do it. And I said, did you tell the, the principal? Did you tell your teachers? Did you tell someone in authority? And they, they said, yeah, I've told everybody and nobody's doing anything about it. And so the dad said, well, you got to do what you got to do. You just do what you got to do. 
So the next time this boy came and hit this young man in the back between the shoulder blades, he turned around and hit him and sent him to the hospital. Broke his jaw, busted his head when he hit the sidewalk. They had to put stitches in. And it took three or four teachers to pull this boy off of this guy. That's a true story. I know because it was my son I'm talking about. (laughs) Needless to say, the word got around and they never intimidated him again. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you don't have to let Satan intimidate you anymore. I refuse to be intimidated by the devil anymore. I know that I can't have any hope or dreams of success in this life without Jesus Christ. He makes it clear in the Scriptures. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way except through Jesus Christ. But the devil comes along and tries to intimidate us with circumstances. And he comes up behind us and he hits us right between the shoulder blades. And it brings us to our knees. And we wonder, how in the world did we get here? I'm tired of the devil trying to intimidate me to the point where I won't do what I'm supposed to do for God. They may look at you and point their fingers and say, well, you, you done this or you done that or you said this about someone or you're harboring a spirit in your heart, or you're doing this in your home, you're allowing things in your life that you never allowed, and it stops you and it intimidates you from doing the things that God has called us to do. But don't wait till you get perfect because you'll never get there. If you wait to go to church and give your heart to God when you quit smoking, or when you quit drinking, or when you quit doing the drugs, you will never come to church. Jesus said, it's not the well that need a physician, but it's the sick I've come for. All you have to do is recognize that you're sick. All you have to realize is that you've got sin in your life. You need to realize that no man can help you. You can be bound. You can be chained. You can be fettered. You can go to the hospital. You can go to doctors. But nobody can help you like Jesus can help you. Somebody said, I don't get to go to church, or I don't have to go to church, or I don't got to go to church, but I gets to go to church. I don't gots to, I gets to. I don't gots to live for God. I don't have to live like this. I choose to live like this. Because I was like this man that I read to you about. I used to be like him, or maybe not quite to that level, 
But I was lost and undone without God. I was on my way to hell. And my dad took me to church one night. The preacher called and said, if there's anybody that needs prayer, come and we'll pray with you. Well, I had a physical problem and for selfish reasons, I thought maybe God will heal me. Maybe he'll have compassion on me. From what I've heard, he's a healer, so I'll go up there and see if he'll heal me. So I went, they laid hands on me. God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I got baptized that same night. And it changed my life. One minute I was on my way to hell, and the next minute I was on my way to heaven. I didn't see Jesus. I didn't run to Jesus. If I'd have had any sense, I would have. If you've got any sense, you will. It didn't happen that way for me. God knew how to get a hold of my life. He knew what it would take for me. But I came. You see, I made that first step. And sometimes that's the hardest. But if you'll take that first step, the next one gets a little easier and a little easier and a little easier. I just saw my wife's cousin, Jeff Grammer, a few days ago at a family gathering in Kentucky. Jeff reminded me of the time that he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he said, the things that I said that I would not do, I did. He said, you had to know Jeff Grammer. He's very reserved. He's very, very, in, what's the word, in, introverted. Thank you, brother. I'll have to pay you for that later. Very introverted. He was very withdrawn inside. He was, he was raised in an alcoholic family, and his dad would come in at 3 o'clock in the morning and get the kids up for pizza because he was feeling guilty because he didn't spend any time with the kids. So he'd make them get up, and then he would lecture them all night about how good he was and how much he loved them and, and, all this, and make them eat pizza until they vomited, and then they'd go to bed, and they were afraid to get up and go to the bathroom because they were afraid if dad saw them up, that he would lecture them all night, so they just laid in there and urinated in the bed all over each other. That's the kind of background that he came from. So he was, when he got older, he got on drugs, and he actually looked like Charles Manson. When you, if you, I saw a picture of his, uh, his uh, profile picture when the police arrested him one night, and he was on drugs and alcohol so bad that he literally, he was on uh, Placidils, and my brother-in-law, Rick Grammer, was in the car with him, and they were all in a big scrambled to do something different and Jeff got so frustrated he got out of the car and literally ripped the car door off of the hinges and threw it in the field and the next day he said I had a bad dream he said I had a dream that I man he said it was really bad dream and he started telling everybody what he dreamed and they said it wasn't no dream Jeff that really happened looked outside and he looked outside and the car door was gone it was on a big Pontiac that he tore the door plumb off the hinges but this guy, he was so introverted and so messed up on drugs, he was, he was kind of like this guy, too. As a matter of fact, if I had an opportunity to talk with each one of you, I could probably say, well, he was like this guy, too. He was like this guy, too. 
in Him. In Him. But Jeff said, I decided that I wasn't, I wanted the Holy Ghost, but I wasn't going to do two things. And he said, that was to jump up and down or run around the church. Appreciate you running around the church. Come here, sister. I should have got up. I should have got up and run around the church with you. That's her Jesus. I didn't run around the church because Satan was intimidating me, just like he intimidates some of you. Jeff said that night, three years after he began to seek for the Holy Ghost, three years, we were in a revival service with Brother Robert Bear, the walking Bible. And Brother Bear preached. Jeff came to the altar. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And he said, I ran around that church and I leaped up and down because there was a power in me. Something happened to me in that moment that changed my life forever. I refuse to be intimidated by the devil anymore. Would you stand with me? Would you look at your neighbor and say, I refuse to be intimidated by the devil anymore? From this moment forward, If the devil has intimidated you and stopped you from doing something for God, I want you to make up your mind right now. That will never happen again. That will never happen again. If God's Word said it, I believe it. If God's Word said it, I believe it. Say, I refuse to be intimidated. I refuse to be intimidated by the devil anymore. I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for him to the best of my ability. 
I'm going to live for Him and do what He's called me to do. I'm not afraid to tell people about Jesus. He said, if you'll be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. I'm not going to be intimidated by the devil anymore. Praise God. Hallelujah. You say, well, Brother Hill, Jesus got off the ship and and that demonic saw him. And he ran to him. And he fell on his knees and on his face and began to worship him. But I don't see Jesus anywhere. He's here. You can feel him. You can sense he's in this building. And if you'll just run to Jesus in your heart, you might physically want to run down here. It's okay. The Bible said they got the Holy Ghost while they were sitting in the upper room. They weren't even standing. You can get the Holy Ghost wherever you're at. You can have whatever it is that you want. If If you'll just make up your mind, you're not going to let the devil intimidate you anymore. Whatever it is that you need, brother. Whatever it is that you need, sister. afraid of you devil I'm not intimidated by you devil you're not going to stop me from doing what God's called me to do I don't care what I got to go through I don't care what I have to endure I'm going to do what God called me to do God telling you to do now? I've been in this thing too long to know. God's telling somebody to do something right now and you better do it. Atmosphere is changing, and 
Nothing stays the same.